Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. This is episode seven. And you look a little confused. Yes, we're back. Uh, a little befuddled by your numbers today. Yeah, well, you know, when it gets up to where I got to take my shoes off, you know. Well, you only thing. have seven toes, so I guess we're fucked after this. <laughs> yeah. Did you have Jolly Rancher in your mouth? No, I did. Okay. It's gone now. Because that's like a number one rule of broadcasting. You shouldn't have something in your mouth. Like okay. No candy, no gum, no dicks, you know. Right. Just to let you know. Okay, well, I'll spit all that out. Okay. And um, I'm ready. Well, we're back and we're ready for more mountain murders, right? Yes, we are. We're very excited about it. And today's it. case is, well, it's an interesting one. And there's some, uh, like, disappearance involved. And we had a, kind of a weird situation uh, earlier in the week, if you will, last week. Um, yeah. Last couple of days, anyway. Um, you want to tell our listeners about that? Yeah, you disappeared in a parking lot on me. So I went into the gas station. I asked her if uh, I was going to get some a few beers and um, asked her if she well, needed we anything. Go to this one particular convenience store in town that has like the best selection of craft beers. Yes, they do. So let's preface the story with that. By far. So we went kind of on a beer run so you could get a delicious craft beer. Yes. Of your choosing. Yes, and I was the like, array, a, the, the array of selection. Do you need anything? She was like, No, no, thanks. I'm good. So I go in. I pay kind of you know the guys going back and forth with another customer at the register my attention was on that so i get my stuff and i come out and car's empty and so just immediately i'm like okay well maybe she wouldn't use the bathroom but like directly behind that thought was what if she's been taken you mean so, like the Liam Neeson movie? Yes. Like, like yeah, I, I, have, I have a set of skills that make me a nightmare for people like you kind of thing, which I'm still working out what skills those are. But, um. Well, you can eat like a pan of brownies like nobody's business. So well, well, skill. yeah, well, that could Maybe serve could me well. eat all their brownies. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, just instantly, almost instantly, I'm like, okay, well, she's probably just in the bathroom. And then I think, well, that's what people always think in these situations, like if someone's gone. They're just like, oh, well, you know, they're just around back or whatever. And um, so I instantly scanned the parking lot at all the tags because even if I don't remember them, I know hypnosis might be able to bring it out later. I'm making a note of vehicles um, and, and types of clothes people are wearing, their general descriptions. And they, that's what was going through my mind when you came out of the door of the store. Yeah, well, I decided, you know, to pop on in. I was going to get something as well because initially I was like, oh, I don't need anything. And then I'm like, oh, you know. A drink would be good, maybe some cider or something. And I thought you saw me when I walked in. Yeah, which I didn't. Yeah, well, I thought you had seen me, and so I didn't tell you I was in there because I was like, oh, he, he just saw me go in, right? And I'm over at the case picking out what I want. Yeah. And But then when I was at the register, I was thinking, I bet he thinks something happened to me. It's like that thought <laughs> went through my mind at the same time. That's kind of funny. We're both... We're both in tune, and we need to like stop listening to so many murder podcasts. Yeah, I think we need to take a break. Both have a mind that immediately goes to like we're going to be decorating a ditch right if something ha- you know yeah i was I totally know. ready to identify your corpse 
in the two minutes I didn't know where you were. It should be pretty easy to identify. Right. I mean, I have a lot of tattoos. Okay. On this body. Right. I've got a third nipple. She does. So that's easy to find. But anyway, yeah. So we're going to get on with today's (laughs) podcast, today's show. Yeah. Fortunately, she was just in the store and she's still with me, guys. Everything's okay. Yeah. My sciatic nerve is killing me right now, but that's about the only thing that's murdering me. Right. My butt hurts. Okay. So we're going to get started with this. Um, And this is an interesting story. And as I mentioned before, it is a case that starts out with a disappearance. So something relatable as a married couple. Um, There is a married couple here in the story. So let's get to it. So on September 7th, 1997, hunters in North Carolina's Pisgah National Forest found human bones, clothing, and some other items scattered in the woods near a campground. Now, the remains, most of which were centered around a shallow grave, so they had been buried in a very shallow grave, uh, were identified as belonging to a woman somewhere between the ages of 40 and 55, and she had a seriously arthritic knee that was noted, so she could very well be me, I suppose. So they could tell that from the skeleton. Yeah. Well, I guess. I guess. Uh, Or maybe later on the autopsy. But um, due to the holes and cuts on her bra, she had cutting marks on the bones as well, and investigators ruled pretty quickly that the unidentified uh, deceased woman had been stabbed to death. Um, I guess just from the initial, you know, right. checking this body out. So after seeing a missing persons flyer that had been sent to the area, there was an emergency room doctor over in Franklin named Dr. Parker Davis who received one of these flyers. Um, and he noticed the description matched that of a woman found recently in the forest. So, you know, an autopsy had been performed. They were matching dental records, the arthritic knee, and that soon led um, the doctor to conclude that he believed this was the body of Judy Smith, a missing woman. Um, her husband had sent out flyers, you know, as, as pretty much as soon as she went missing. So they were able to identify her. She was born um, Judith Eldridge, December 15, 1946, in Hyannis, Massachusetts. She was a 50-year-old nurse from Newton, Massachusetts, and she was positively seen alive by her husband, Jeffrey, at a hotel in Philadelphia almost five months before. Wow. So this is September, five months before, that would have been April. So what had happened, and this is kind of an interesting story, is that um, her husband, um, Jeff, was a lawyer, and they had only been married, um, you know, just a couple of months, maybe eight months or something. I mean, they were practically newlyweds, if you think about it like that. And um, he was an attorney. He was attending a conference in Philadelphia, and his wife had never been to the city of brotherly love, so she wanted to join him in town. Pretty normal. You know, your husband's going out of town on business. You take the week off work. You join him. Well, you're newlyweds. A fun trip, right? Can't stand being away from each other yet. Right? Oh, we know what that's like. Not. (laughs) So, you know, the plan was that during the day, she would do some sightseeing, and maybe in the evenings, they could spend time together. And when the two arrived at the airport in Boston, Judy had realized that she had forgotten her ID because photo identification had only been required a short time before that, you know, to board a flight. So at this point, she doesn't have her driver's license. She says she needs to go home, get her license. So she tells her husband she would go get the license. She's going to hop a later flight, meet him at the Doubletree Hotel where they're booked in Philadelphia. So 
The plan goes accordingly. Um, she arrived on the next flight. She took a cab to the hotel, and she only made one stop to buy flowers as an apology. So, tip, you know, starting out like a typical trip out of town. Right. You know, the only atypical thing would have been for getting her license, but that's not so uncommon. And um, so she is supposed, supposedly going sightseeing. And this case draws a lot of questions. So <clears throat> the morning of April 10th, Jeff got up. So this would have been April the 9th. So everything goes as planned. She flies into town, comes to the hotel, brings these flowers. I guess they go out, have dinner that evening, see some people around town, you know. Um, so the next morning, which would have been April the 10th, Jeff got up earlier than she did, and he went downstairs at the hotel to have breakfast. And comes back upstairs. He says they bantered a little bit about her not showing up for breakfast on time, um, you know, because she was taking a shower. And she jokes around, oh, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? Come downstairs naked, you know, that kind of thing. So he said they were having, a, you know, like a, just a playful discussion. And so he asks her, you know, what are your plans for the day? Because he's going to be in a conference, you know, in meetings all day going to workshops, that kind of thing. Well, she told him her plan was to get some tickets on a bus tour around Philadelphia, that she wanted to visit the Liberty Bell, Independence Hall, you know, Penn's Landing, all the the different things that you do when you were in Philadelphia, probably wanted to go to the art museum. Who doesn't want to go see the Rocky Balboa statue? Right. I'd have to see that in Philly. Have a Philly cheesesteak. Get your car towed. These are like pretty common things that you do when you're in Philly. Exactly. So she was going to be back around 5.30, and the plan was they were going to meet up. He had some clients that they were going to meet for cocktails, and then they were going to have a nice dinner to themselves, you know, after they had cocktails. So sounds like a typical evening, you know, with your spouse. Norm, yeah, sounds right? fun to me. <laughs> well, by 6.15, Judy had not shown up at the hotel as planned, and so her husband got worried about her. As you would, you know, she's supposed to be home back at the hotel by 530. She's not there yet, you know. You're in a strange city. Yeah, you start to worry, but I guess he wasn't super concerned just yet because, you know, he was like, well, she's on this tour. Maybe it lasted longer. Maybe she got held up. Maybe she went shopping. I mean, you know, there's a million reasons why that maybe she wasn't on time. So he went on to have cocktails and thought, well, maybe she'll show up like downstairs at the hotel bar, wherever they were having drinks. You know, maybe she'll she'll come later on. And so goes, has drinks with buddies, whatever, clients, and she still hasn't returned. And so he finally starts to get, you know, a little bit more concerned about all of this and discusses it with the hotel concierge and relayed what had happened. And so the concierge got the bus route where she had been and, um, you know, gave it to uh, Jeff, the husband. I guess he hopped in a cab and started searching for her. So he gets in a cab, you know, goes out on the city, goes to some of these sites, thinking that maybe he'll bump into her. Yeah, I mean, you've got to imagine freaking out this, at this is point like pre-cell phone days. Right. I mean, in 1997, people didn't really have cell phones. No, you got to go find him. Yeah. Literally. So that was kind of his plan was that he might be able to find her. Um, so goes out looking for her, doesn't find her. Goes back to the hotel and discusses it with the hotel concierge. They begin calling hospitals because, you know, that would be obviously, I guess, the next step. Calling yeah, around what... to make sure there hadn't been an accident or something. You know, Yeah, back in the her. day you called hospitals and jails yeah. when you're looking for someone. <laughs> <laughs> well, they even went as far as phoning the bus company that offered the tour. 
and eventually um, they had to call the police. So a driver, I guess with the tour company, does remember like picking her up and dropping her off somewhere, but he didn't really have any information on whether or not she took the tour. So I guess he just sort of recognized the name or the description of this lady, knew her name. Hey, she she did get on my bus, but he couldn't remember exactly if she'd completed the whole tour kind of thing. So Jeff felt the police weren't taking the missing, missing persons report seriously when he called. They, um, you know, kind of seemed stuck on this notion that maybe she'd just taken off, you know, maybe out of anger, maybe for attention. Well, you know they're going to suspect the spouse. So this would have been a 1997 Two. gone girl, like she just up and disappeared. Right. Trying to cause a scene kind of thing. And that seems to happen a lot in missing person cases. And they, First, they say they've run off. Are you sure you didn't have a fight? Blah, blah, blah. And then next thing you know, they're going to suspect you if it turns into anything. So, you know, they felt like at some point. So I guess at some point they felt like she was going to return after she'd made a point, you know, and not to get too strung out on the idea that she was missing. It'll all work itself out. You know, maybe it was some sort of marital problem, you know, if you will. So. They weren't taking it very seriously, and it just so happens that attending the conference where her husband, Jeff, was, you know, participating in this, he um, was at this conference with Mayor Rendell and a state representative named John Perzel, and he decided, I guess, to talk to them since they were attending this conference and kind of relayed that he felt like the police weren't taking this missing persons report very seriously, so they even pulled some strings to try to get a search underway on his behalf. So he knew somebody. Yeah. <laughs> and so the Philadelphia police initially considered Jeffrey a suspect. Uh, they cast doubt on the idea that his wife had even been to the city in the first place. And they started suggesting his story was fabricated, that she had never even been there to begin with. And, um, you know, of course, he was pretty upset about this. Um, so he, um, decided, you know, he eventually, well, initially he didn't want to take a polygraph test by local, like by the local police department. Right. Because they're already treating him like dirt. Well, I guess he told them that if he would take one, but only if the FBI administered this polygraph. That and it's junk science. Right. I mean, he just was like, well, whatever. Well, they, uh, you know, go on the defensive automatically. He's a suspect and he's refusing to take. This polygraph kind well, of thing. I don't blame him a bit. So I come to the local law enforcement. My wife's missing. I don't know what's happened to her. I'm all to hell about that. And just they, they tell me they don't even, they're not even sure she was really in the city. And they think my whole story's fabricated. That's instantly going to put you on the defensive big time as the husband or any family member would be. Yeah. So um, I guess eventually he does take a polygraph, but he takes it upon himself. You know, after this case is not being taken very seriously, he's not getting anywhere. He hired some private investigators. Then he made up flyers and he sent them out all over the eastern seaboard to over 9,000 hospitals, police departments, um, which aided, you know, in helping finding and identifying her body later, as we mentioned in, in the beginning. So this story just gets really crazy. So 600 miles away, North Carolina... Pretty far distance from Philadelphia. Um, her body's discovered in September. So five months later. And when they find her body, um, they described her as wearing new but appropriate hiking gear, which 
her husband says, you know, when she left to go doing a tour, she wasn't wearing hiking gear. In Philadelphia. Right. And um, they were not the clothes that she was wearing. And there were some witnesses who think they might have seen her in Philadelphia, but they say that she wasn't wearing hiking gear when they saw her. But what she was wearing might have been appropriate for hiking in the mountains around Asheville in mid-April, around the time that she went missing. So when they find this body, there was no wallet or other identification in the pockets. Now, she did have about $187 in cash on her person. So robbery was clearly not a motive in her killing. Um, She also had her wedding jewelry set on. And her clothing reportedly had horse hair on it. That's weird. Which is very strange. Um, And uh, she was wearing or had near the body a pair of uh, Bali sunglasses, which I guess were pretty expensive. I mean, they were saying these sunglasses sold for like over $100 a pair. Okay. Which is another weird element because her husband said she was not a... Um, like a flashy person. Right, or high maintenance. Yeah, type that of... she was not the kind of person who would go buy like a $150 pair of sunglasses. That was just kind of out of character. So here she has. She seemed like a really low maintenance woman. She has new hiking gear. Brand new hiking gear. And these expensive sunglasses. And uh, at that, during, back in that day, that's a good amount of money to have in your pocket. A couple hundred bucks cash in her pocket. And um, that's just weird. And she went missing in Philadelphia. Right. So that's just totally crazy. Well, now they, she's in the Pisgah National, her body's found in the Pisgah National Forest. Well, one of the other weird kind of details, you know, people are like, well, maybe she ran off. But when she left Philadelphia, her husband said she left like $500 in cash behind in the hotel room. And she did have an American Express card, but it was immediately like red flagged so that if a transaction was made, they could alert the police like right. she bought stuff. So, you know, there's this whole thing if she bought a new kind of wardrobe or you know new things how would she buy for north carolina how would she buy them and then she had cash on her person plus she had this red backpack and now her husband says she had this old red backpack and that she took it pretty much everywhere like trips she had it in philadelphia you know i guess her kids described her as being an outdoorsy kind of person like she enjoyed going on hikes going to parks that kind of thing and that she would always take this backpack with her And when they found her body, there was no sign of this red backpack, but there was another backpack present. It was like a blue and black, and that um, it was described as being, like, new. So, new sunglasses, new backpack, new clothes. That's totally crazy. And then, of course, the horse hair. However, when detectives were investigating, um, they found... Nearby, a place called Mountain Springs Cabins and Chalets, where she could have stopped because the trail, I guess, ran up kind of behind this place. And um, they went in. They interviewed the lady who ran the place. She hadn't seen Judy or heard of her, hadn't talked to her anything. But she was like, oh, well, people come by here all the time on the trail, and they often stop and pet the horses. Okay. So it could have been that she was hiking along, stopped. Maybe, you know, was petting these horses. That's how she got the horse hair on her person. Now, some people speculate that perhaps she was horseback riding. That maybe she was horseback riding with someone and they killed her. That's how she had the horse, you know. Right. So that's a big question, how that happened. But, you know, clearly robbery was not um, a motive. They don't believe. So... 
um, her husband, you know, he's still a suspect. They're trying to figure out what happened. Well, later on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, because this case actually did make it to the TV show, oh, there was wow. a friend of Judy's that told police that the newly the newlywed couple, sorry, were having some marital problems and that Judy may have left him. Okay. Now, Jeff didn't mention, you know, at any time that they were having any kind of problems. And Judy had adult children, and they disagreed. They said that her marriage seemed fine, that they hadn't heard anything. I guess she was very close with her daughter. And, you know, her daughter said this didn't seem plausible. And for her mother to just up and leave didn't make sense. And if you think about it, I mean, it really doesn't. If she's trying to leave her husband, why would she take the flight to Philadelphia if she wanted to leave him? Right. Like, why didn't she just send him on? That would give her a week home alone. Get your stuff and get it out of there if you want to. Get packed up, get out of there. Take all the money out of the bank account, whatever, right? Right. Um, so, So why not just leave? I mean, if she wants to leave him, leave when he's out of town. Like, why go to the effort of flying to this strange city going through this uh, motions of being on vacation. Yeah, having to find stuff to so do while he does like business. up and leave. Yeah. Doesn't really make sense, right? No, it doesn't. Well, witnesses thought they saw her in Asheville. Well, and obviously that's where she, you know, ended up. But uh, they say they saw her there. There was an employee at Biltmore State who said they saw Judy, I guess, at Biltmore, um, at a campground near where her body was found um, up in the woods. The owner said that she drove up in a gray sedan that was filled with boxes and bags and asked if she could spend the night in her car there. And um, I guess they told her, you know, she couldn't stay there, so she drove away. Um, There was a deli owner um, that said that Judy came into her store. Now, this would have been in Asheville. And she was in a gray sedan, bought $30 worth of sandwiches and a toy truck. And uh, local investigators considered these things credible, these sightings. There were even some other stories. Um, a lady in New Jersey who claims that she saw Judy in New Jersey. Um, but the weird thing is there was no financial record of like a rental car, airfare, train ticket, cab. I mean, if she rented a car, there was no record of it. Right. So if she's driving this gray sedan. Where did that come from? Yeah. Because there's no paper trail showing that she rented a car. She doesn't have her, hasn't used her credit card. And being 600 miles away, I mean, she didn't just walk to North Carolina. No. Right? She had to get here somehow. I mean, I've made that trek up to Philadelphia, and that's a long-ass trip. I mean, it's like going to take you, you know, 12-plus hours with traffic. So this is a, a really weird story for her to go up there with him to Philly. They're basically newlyweds. Um, by his account, everything's fine. By her children's account, maybe those closest to her, everything's fine. And, uh, then she just up and disappears from Philadelphia. Well, again, um, you know, Jeff is a suspect. And so initially investigators thought that his, his story seemed weird about his wife being in Philadelphia to begin with, because they say when they check the room, they didn't find any cosmetics in the room, and there were no dirty clothes in the hotel room. Okay. So they thought that maybe he, like, packed a bag 
and brought it and then claimed she had left or something. Because there was really no trace other than her suitcase, I guess, that had some clothes in it. Like his fake alibi kind of story. Yeah, that kind of thing. But um, the children, because she had two adult children, um, said that this was not really odd. Because they said Judy didn't wear makeup and she would have likely reworn her travel clothes again. So if she spent a day flying and had something on for a couple hours, that she was the kind of woman who would have just reworn that outfit the next day, that that was not a weird thing, that she was really funny about, you know, not wanting to have lots of laundry and that she was just a really like practical, sensible kind of person. So again, a low maintenance, low profile type of person. Right. So her kids were totally backing up Jeff. He didn't have any part of this, whatever. So um, eventually he is ruled out as a suspect. And primarily because, as they described him, he was a corpulent fellow. Ah. He was big boned, if you will. A husky, husky lad. He was large, large okay. man, large and in charge, Jeff. Um, and he also suffered some pretty serious health problems. And they think it would have been very unlikely that he could have disposed of her body where it was found. Right. Because he's a really big dude. Plus, I mean, how are you going to get 600 miles away in a few hours? Murder her, hide her body, and then get back to Philadelphia for a conference. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pushing it you there. Know, none of that makes sense. No. So he's ruled out as a suspect. And unfortunately, he died back in 2005. Okay. So not even 10 years after her disappearance, he dies of natural causes. Okay. Because again, had a lot of health problems. Really big fellow. Um, but, you know, when he described her, I mean, he said that she was really... Um, just one of the, you know, nicest people, like just really caring. And so I guess he had a hard time with the idea that she would have just heartlessly up and left and not even told her kids where she was going. Right. She was so close with her kids and that she was just a really good person. So she was a nurse in the Boston area and she did a lot of home care. And her daughter even said at one point she had traveled with a, I guess, a very sick elderly man down south to take him to his family as he was kind of getting to the hospice stages. And so police tried to investigate that because they thought that might have been a tie to this area, Asheville, but there were no real leads in that, and uh, they weren't really able to establish any kind of connection to a former patient or his family. Now, were they from this area? They were from the Boston area. So they're from the that area, from Philadelphia, Boston area? Yeah. And, um, wow, so that's even crazier. I did not realize that. And so, I guess Jeffrey Smith, um, before Judy married him, because she'd previously been married, and um, I guess one of the ways that they had even met was that she cared for Smith's father for a week after he had throat surgery in the mid-1980s. And he said Judy's devotion to his father's care was just you know, just so heartwarming and that she um, was just so concerned about his dad and was doing all this extra stuff and just really going above and beyond, you know, to care for him. And he even recalled a story about how um, he used a, or she used a window curtain rod to hold the IV bag when the father needed the IV dripped into him yeah. because they didn't have the proper holder for it. And that she just was really, um, you know, dedicated, like just go above and beyond. Yeah. And so, you know, Jeff was divorced, had a grown daughter, and started dating Judy. Um, and then they were married in September of 1996. So I guess they dated, you know, for a while. But right. um, she had cared for his dad. So I guess that's kind of 
how they met. Yeah, the relationship, how they met, and then I guess it went from there. But I mean, by all you know accounts, he seemed to be in love with her and pretty enamored with her, and you know described her with a lot of uh, kindness, and you know he seemed to really recognize that she was like a good soul. That's... So that's why for the the story of her just up and vanishing by her own choice is right. just very odd. This is a very strange case. Honestly, it's one of the as far as where she disappears from, that's her area, Boston, Philly. You know, they're in Philly, kind of next door to where they live at this conference with him. And then, boom, she disappears and her body shows up 600 miles away in the Pisgah National Forest. Right. New clothes on. Hiking no one, clothes. Ho- hiking clothes, because appropriate hiking clothes. Red, she was actually, I guess, from the knee down, they were able to see that, you know, she had on jeans. Right. And she even had on, like, thermal underwear. Right, because in April it could still be cold, cold out there on the trail. So, you know, that would have been very appropriate for the time. Yes. Being on the trail, um, you know, expensive sunglasses, new backpack. It's just it's really odd. Very strange. Well, as I mentioned, it was on Unsolved Mysteries. And back in 2016, investigators were hoping to do more forensic testing on some of the items, you know, found. But at that point, several people had passed away, including her husband, right. that were maybe uh, questioned or witnesses, you know, that kind of thing. Because this has been, you know, this has been going on for a while. This is like 20-something years ago. So by that point, you know, they're kind of running low. And who knows? I mean, who whoever... The, whoever the killer was could have already died by now. You know, you, you just don't know. But, uh, you know, they had the Philadelphia police, the FBI, and the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office investigating this case. And if you think about it, um, you know, there's like, oh, well, the thought of, you know, somebody runs away, they go into the woods, they commit suicide. But suicide isn't a possibility here. I mean, she was stabbed. Yeah, you don't just stab yourself like 30 No, there's times. tool marks on her bones that kind of match up with the clothing left over. Exactly. And the horse hair. So, had she been horseback riding, you know, had she stopped by on this trail and, you know, was, like, petting these horses and stuff? Well, I had the thought, too, that, you know, people, someone, often would use horses, uh, you know, especially back in the day, to carry gear. Yeah. So, I mean, it's possible someone could have killed her, thrown her body over a horse to go up this mountain trail and then dispose of her body. Well, I was going to say, you know, you briefly, I've seen it. Seen people do it. Horses kind of scare me. I haven't really done a lot myself, but stop. See some horses. You pet them for a second. I just doesn't seem like you get horse hair all over you from that. You know what right? I mean? I mean that seems like, like you, you have. It seems like you have to be the on horse the horse, or somebody could have thrown you. Yeah, and, and because like, Judy wasn't a small lady, right? She was a plus size gal. Okay, so it's not like someone could have murdered her and then dragged her up this mountain. Right, to put her way out there in the middle of nowhere. Right. So, I mean, I think if she was killed elsewhere, it is very plausible that someone threw her on the back of this horse to carry the body up there. It could be. In and out, quick. Very well could be. Um, But, you know, they don't really know if she was murdered there in the woods and then buried there or if she'd been murdered someplace else and then placed there. Right. Of course, this is 1997. They don't have the forensics and all that, you know, as, as they do today. So, and I guess the decomposition as well was kind of hard to know, like, had this body been moved or is this the site of the murder? Well, it sounds like a nightmare for investigators anyway. You know, no controlled scene really besides the grave. 
Right. You don't really know what's going on. People typically, when they bury someone, don't typically kill them in that spot, wouldn't yeah. you say? And again, there were no real travel records or hotel information. Yeah, there's nothing, to, there's nothing to find. There's nothing to track down. And she did have cash on her person. So, I mean, it's feasible she paid for these things in cash. Right. But the question then is how much cash did she actually have on her, right? Right. And then it's like the likelihood that she was able to carry that much cash up and disappear on this trip. Um, I mean, who knows how long she thought she was going to stay gone if that's the case, you know. So she would, I would think, would have to leave with a lot of cash on her person. Yeah, but so you're you're leaving, let's say you're leaving your new husband. Do you go hiking in the Pisgah National Forest? I mean, they did say she was a bit of an enthusiast, outdoors enthusiast. I just, I mean, it just doesn't seem like... Seems like you turn up at a friend's house or family's house or well, someone's that's house. The other thing is, did she someone. meet someone? Did she have plans to meet someone in Philadelphia and like run off with them? Well, so, yeah. Did she meet someone while she was in Philadelphia and then just get this wild idea that she was going to take off on this road trip? Right. I mean, there's so many unanswered questions. There almost case. seems like there has to be this other person that she really didn't want her friends and family to know about. Honestly. I mean, yeah. Was she leading some kind of secret life, double life? This very I mean, strange of course, this case. Is Pre-Facebook, pre-internet, so it wasn't like she was on Tinder, right? Or she was on a missed connection on Craigslist or Casual Encounter or something. You well, know? still, people but, still met people various well, ways did. and ran off. Yeah, I mean, they did it. So who knows? There's even been some speculation that she might have been a victim of the serial killer Gary Michael Hilton. And we're actually going to talk about one of his cases. Oh, yes. I've been wanting to do that. So he had left victims in a very similar condition. Not crazy far from where this happened. Really? Yeah. Okay. So there's that idea. And, you know, the whole thing is just so weird. And then you have to start thinking, like, could she have been suffering from some kind of amnesia? Like, maybe some sort of dissociative amnesia? Because from what I've understood about it is there have been cases of people who just kind of get this case of amnesia, like, kind of out of nowhere. And then they wake up and they're, like, in a completely different area. Really? And they don't know how they got there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And so I guess it's called a fugue state. Well, I've heard of fugue states. Of amnesia. And that can last actually up to a couple of months. And it can trigger some weird conditions like unexpected travel as part of that. Really? So you and you get really confused, disoriented, you don't remember anything, and then you just like you travel, you leave the area and then just show up someplace else. Wow. I mean, so that could have happened that she could have had some kind of weird break, mental break. I don't know. I guess we'll never know. I guess we will never know. Unless something happens, someone confesses right. or some big break in the case of some type. Which, so, you know, I mean, I'm assuming her children are still alive, and I'm sure they would like to see this solved and find some answers for their mother's murder and disappearance. And I'm sure. Like to know what happened. Some Who closure. Wouldn't? Of course, her husband, Jeffrey Smith, is now dead and has been dead for like 14 years. But um, this is just a really crazy story, if you think about it. I mean, so many questions. It's one of the strangest stories I've ever heard, honestly, you know, being so far removed from where they don't even know how or why you went missing and you know from one area and then found in another with these new clothes on these new hiking clothes and 
pocket full of cash. It's just, it's crazy. It's a weird story. It is really weird. Very weird story. Just another mountain murder served up to you extra hot here tonight. Yes, and this is exactly what I thought could have happened to you when I came out of the store the other evening and you were gone. Did you really? For all I know, you could end up in the found dead in the Pisgah National Forest covered in horse hair. I could be found dead in Philadelphia. Ah, under there the you Liberty go. Bell covered in horse hair. Draped on the Rocky Balboa statue. Right? In a very sexually suggestive pose. Okay, enough of that. <laughs> but that would be that would be crazy. Well, you know, I even asked you because you were you were telling me, you know, oh, I was really worried something had happened to you, and huh. then we kind of joked about, okay, we need to stop listening to all these true crime podcasts. Yeah, we need to take we a break. To stop maybe. reading up on serial killers. Right. But then I was like, what would you really do if I was missing? Like, if I just up and disappeared, what would you do? I would, I would be freaked out, and I would probably have friends come stay with me because I'll be uh, beside myself. I'll be totally freaked out. So you'd go home. Yeah, I'd go home and, the, you You'd know. Call your buddies to come over with some beer. Well, you know, you might need some beer. Some wings. To stay. Well, you're going to have to have sustenance <laughs> through the vigil, throughout the vigil. A fat-ass J? No. I'm just kidding. Lord, no. No. <laughs> but, um, yes, I, I, honestly, I, would, I, I don't know what I would do, but I would be out of hell. Call the police. Call the police. Be ready to be a suspect because I know that's coming. And I'm going to tell them to shove that polygraph junk science shit up their ass. Oh, well, then you're really going to be a suspect. Well, I know, but I just, you know, uh, Dr. or uh, Mari and all that, it's bullshit. Junk science, there's a reason it's not admissible in a court of law. Well, if you go missing, I will file a police report, and then I'm going to get your credit cards, and I'm going okay. to buy lots of stuff. Okay, well, that just kidding. It's not going to last as long as you think it might. Okay. And would you take the polygraph? No. No. Okay, there you go. No. We don't need your junk pseudoscience bullshit. No, because I would want to be. You'd want to be the suspect? Headlined as the, like the Black Widow. Ah, you'd start wearing black dresses and big hats, wouldn't you? How would that be any different than how I normally well, dress? Well, I'm saying you would put your clothes See, on. I could really play this up because it would be like that whole West Memphis 3 kind of thing. Yeah. Where they were just like, oh, she's like this satanic witch and she wears black all the time. Yeah. And has a bunch of tattoos and like. Right. Worships the devil and, you know, has a lot of dead things in her house. Like, so you'd become the suspect. What normal woman has a rat skeleton on her coffee table like you'd become kind of the stuff? suspect and stay the suspect and then my oh. true killers would get away probably well That's there you actually go Actually, probably what would happen there you this, go in this area in the bible belt it's a little bit of satanic panic but i would never i would never hurt you no and i would never hurt you like boy george I, do you really want to hurt me i would never hurt you i would never hurt you baby i know but it's really scary to think about you know we we kind of had that little extra podcast that we posted that was just kind of us bantering a bit and we talked about disappearances and just people who up and vanish yeah to never be heard from again so freaky well thanks for tuning in to mountain murders we'll have a brand new episode headed your way sooner than later so thanks for checking us out you can find us on patreon spreaker we are on spotify now we should be on apple podcasts itunes you should be able to find us on iHeart Podcasts pretty soon. We've submitted there. Um, okay. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Yes. SoundCloud, Just Pocket so- Cast, CastBox. Right. We, we's all up in the business here. We all over the place. We, we is. We like some dog poo when it gets stepped in. 
you actually had that happen not that long ago. Yeah, I did. It was horrible. It was a stinky situation. Yeah, thanks for that shitty situation. But yeah, we're everywhere, so just look us up. And if we're not where you look, just uh, hit us up on Mountain Murders, our website, and let us know. Or on Facebook page, Mountain Murders, and let us know, and we'll try to get where you look. And if you want to support us on Patreon... We have some folks who are throwing in money for our podcast, so you can go over there if you like, throw in a couple of bucks, and we'll give you a shout-out, and you can also uh, make some show suggestions, and we might even have you as a guest host. We could do that via Skype. Yes, and we're going to, uh, we're trying, we're in the act of putting together some quirky bonus material that would be just for our Patreon customers, or... Supporters. Our supporters, rather, sorry. Customers, it makes me feel like... I know. Well, let's just call them our Johns. Yeah, our tricks. Yeah, our, our Johns, our Our tricks. Patreon tricks. Uh, we're going to put <laughs> together something very special for you guys. We're still working on that. And, uh, yeah, and we appreciate you listening at the very least. And feel free to leave us a five-star review wherever you can. And uh, just keep it going. And we really appreciate you listening to us. Thanks, guys.